Hi there, my name's Adam Parr. I'm the podcast host, the Parr City Podcast. In this podcast, you'll be listening to me connect with people from different walks of life, from the military to people in the music industry to people in the self-help industry and many other areas of life. In this podcast, I'll be talking about topics from self-help, mental health, motivation, spirituality, mindset, society, current affairs, and much, much more. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share, and let me know your feedback. My main intention on this podcast is to have a positive impact. For you, the the listener, to take something positive from it, to apply something positive into your life from this. Now, with without further ado, let's get into this podcast and enjoy. Hi, this is an announcement to say that the Policy Podcast is now available on Patreon. Patreon is where I'll be adding exclusive behind-the-scenes content, exclusive questions that I'll be asking my guests, and many more clips from the Free Flow Force and much more, as well as the Positive Podcast merch that'll be on there as well. You can click in the link in the bio and it will take you to the Patreon page. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to Positive Podcast. In this episode, I'm reunited with my good friend, Don Sevcik. In this podcast, we talk about some of the new books that he's bringing out. We talk about mindset, mental models, motivation, and much more. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Tuning in, trying to find out how to win. Go along and tell a friend. Marathon, you know the game. Keep on running, never end. Getting better, make a man. Adam got it, Adam got it, Adam got it, Adam got it. Positivity, 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 in. Right. Don, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast today. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, you're welcome. And yeah, no, we always have good podcasts. And, you know, you've been here from the start when I started out. And, you know, we always have good chats. And um, yeah, I just kind of, you've got a few things you want to discuss on the podcast. And I kind of run through the the first kind of like um, topic. And you, you mentioned like um, about a book, your third book that's coming out and what's involved with that yeah so i'm a couple weeks away from finishing the final edits and then publishing my linkedin book and it's going to be basically a step-by-step blueprint of how to go from zero connections or a small amount of connections to thirty thousand connections which is the maximum linkedin allows before you can have a follow only and the reason why i'm writing it is just for people that I've, i've met over the years who are either looking for jobs lost their job trying to network in business and, and LinkedIn is a gold mine if you know how to work it for both networking as well as making money. But there's there seems to be sometimes like a black box, like how do I do it? Some people talk too serious. Some people are kind of shy. So 
this just takes somebody from day one who doesn't know much about writing, doesn't know much about networking, or even people that have been doing it, but just need a refresher of some cool tips and tricks that have worked to skyrocket their network. So I'm pretty excited to bring it to everybody. Oh, that's awesome. And I think it's a really good point because I mean, when I, when I first started LinkedIn, I, I didn't really know how I was new to networking and it's kind of how I learned to network. And there were, at first, this, it was, I mean, if, if someone doesn't know how to network, it can be quite overwhelming sometimes because there's, there's so many avenues and there's so much detail there. And I think it's great that you create creating this book that, you know, allows people to kind of learn how to network, and like, you know, how to make money through it and how to build those connections. Because I think a lot of the time, sometimes people just gain connections, but, you know, trying to gain those right connections and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, part of the book is just for people that are kind of shy or introverts, it shows them how to start connecting with people that have a high probability of accepting. And then I'm building up the confidence from there. So it's almost like if you're starting out at a nightclub or a party and you really don't know anybody and you want to make some connections, some friends, but you're shy. So I talk about who's probably the first person you want to connect with. And then from there, who else to connect with in their network and once you build the confidence, you can start stepping up to, I, I would say, like higher perceived value connections. So people who are either wealthy, people who are either celebrities or just people who are highly networked. And it's kind of that step by step, like even for the shyest introvert, like here's what I did. Because me, I mean, if I don't have a few drinks, I'm not a big social person, but I learned how to navigate LinkedIn almost as being an introvert. And so I think that helps. And what's, what's fascinating is as you start making the connections and we've talked about this on prior episodes, you're going to hit the momentum effect. So you're going to expend less energy over time, getting connections and your connections and the LinkedIn algorithm will actually do the work for you. And when that happens, it's mind blowing because people start finding you, Hey, let's connect. Hey, I want to introduce you to these people. Here's another free connection. It's, it's fascinating. Once the LinkedIn algorithm kicks in, and almost puts a rocket booster on your back. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really great point. And I think it's it's that algorithm and, you know, those you kind of start getting, um, you know, the right kind of, or the connections that are kind of in the field that you're in a lot of the time. And I've, I've, I've noticed that with some of the connections that I've had have, you know, been, say, in podcasting or coaching. Um, and prior to that it was just like uh blockchain and uh bitcoin and you know kind of spat the spam of like you know uh linkedin and social media and um yeah some you know i used to think to begin with i, I was thinking you know they're just bots but you know the genuine you know real people who were you know nice people and you know said gave me a lot of compliments and you know it just it's amazing how you said how it can once it, I mean, it isn't mine isn't rolling like for thousands and thousands of people following me, but you, you know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, an uphill <clears throat> in the traction a little bit. And as you mentioned, it's, you know, trying to learn how to navigate your way through that, if that makes sense. And do you think sometimes people create a LinkedIn profile? Like, what would you say prevents that from happening sometimes? Do you think people create a profile, don't put in the right, um, descriptions or or the, or the right um fields if that makes sense 
Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to a girl yesterday who lost her job during COVID and she's up to networking and she's starting to do interviews. She has a great photo. She's got a good uh, profile, but the description she wants to work on and she's just, she feels shy, like how do I approach people? Because she's used to people coming to her and now that's not happening anymore. So that's part of the reason, the part of the steps I'm showing in the book is like, can you get, can you get those first few invites? Like if you've ever played sports, they call it, they call it like a throwaway game. You go and play like the worst team or the easiest team and get a quick victory and you get your confidence up on LinkedIn. You could just start connecting with people that are already really excited about networking. I mean, as long as you're not a spammer, you've got a high probability of connecting with them. And so that's where it starts with the confidence building. I think the second thing is just, we have since the days of old, I mean, when we were cavemen roving, roaming the plains, is just a deep fear of rejection, right? Because in the old days, if you weren't in the tribe or you got kicked out of the tribe, there's no food, no, no relationships, no nothing. You're just cast off into the desert. And I think that, that, that and that lies deep in our lizard brains. Like people don't want to be rejected. They don't, I mean, they may see someone they want to connect with but they don't have that confidence. And it's almost like, well, what if they say no? And so part of what I'm showing them how to do is like, even if they say no, you're going to get better at getting yeses. So almost like the more no's you get up front, you learn, you don't do that anymore. And then you're going to get more yeses. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. And, uh, you know, especially if people are afraid of rejection and if people, you know, scared of that rejection and you know it stops you from reaching out but like you said like you know if you keep on getting those you know you you just kind of push through that and find different ways of doing it and i think like with with me on on linkedin sometimes i don't i like to get to know people or people to you know want to get to know you and sometimes i think like, you know, business is business and sales is sales. But sometimes, sometimes people don't gain that rapport with you. They're just trying to throw stuff at you. And I find that quite... Do you think sometimes, you know, people in their approach, people like... Because it's, it's very deep, isn't it? There's so many layers to it. You know, like, it's your, it can be your photo. Um, you know, the way you structure your name and your description. Uh, you know, your bio. Do you, do you think all of these kind of things kind of contribute to that? and structuring it in a certain way and having the right words. That's part of it. But now I think we've reached what I call LinkedIn 2.0. So the original LinkedIn was a bunch of people, especially business people, corporate types in, and they're talking like they do in the office. They're using these odd buzzwords that nobody can relate to. They're talking at ninth and 10th grade, 10th grade English above people's heads. It was almost like, like snooty, right? Like, oh, I'm a VP and I don't engage in conversations unless you're a VP. And now what's happened is smart people a couple of years ago broke the dam wide open. They started talking to you like a regular person, even if they are a VP, even if, even if they are a CEO. So the people that are crushing it on LinkedIn are talking in what I call barstool conversations. Just you and I sitting on a barstool having a beer, but we're sharing tips like, how can I help you network? How can I help you get better grades? How can I help you get more business? And so part of the, what you're talking about with rapport is even if you're, you're socially shy, if you put out some killer content on your profile or posts or even comments, you're going to start seeing people show up in droves. I mean, I can, I I've gotten 
easily 300 connections from blog posts outside of LinkedIn on Quora. So I'm posting questions and answers on Quora, like picking fun at middle managers and the raise and bonus process and, and, you know, corporate jobs. And I get people that come over from Quora and track me down and say, I had to connect with you. Like, what else do you have? And so if you can, if you can bring that bond, that barstool conversation and put the content out, you almost don't have to have that opening awkward conversation. People will warm up to you because you've started off the relationship by helping them. Like in the, in the book, I talk about every relationship can be treated like a bank account. Every time you ask for something or take something, that's a deposit. Every time you give or, or compliment or take an interest in somebody else or their content, you make a deposit. And the goal is you don't want to go bankrupt. Yeah, no, I really, I really love that concept. And I think that's so true and so accurate with, you know, networking and LinkedIn and, um, you know, like give, you know, giving out, putting out good content and, you know, sharing other people's posts, commenting on other people's posts, uh, you know, you know, um, helping them out, sharing what they're doing and giving them feedback and you post something, someone's going to like yours and, and you know, it, it, it will, it's a bit like that karma kind of effect, isn't it? Like, um, and it, it, you should look at it like a currency. I never really looked at it like that, but it definitely makes sense, you know, when you put it in those in those words. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking before this about compound interest. If you help enough people, if you inspire enough people, if you, even even if you bring enough people to a conversation, right? I've seen yeah. threads <laughs> that get two, 300 comments, 500 likes, if you could just bring that many people together by posting something funny or posting something that helps people, you, you're giving what's called social, social currency, right? Because now mm -hmm. people will be apt to share your post. Why? Are they sharing it because your writing's good? Possibly, but let's, let's ask ourselves the selfish reason. The selfish reason or the personal reason is it makes that person look good. If you share something that I posted, if you like a book that I wrote, that says more about your values, right? You're projecting that out into the world. And mm. so maybe you get more social currency and more attention by sharing my stuff or sharing John Doe's stuff. I mean, it just speaks to, I found, I found a powerful principle from Quora and other blogs where people come and find me on LinkedIn is, you said exactly what's on my mind that I don't have the courage to say. And so that's mm. a big thing you can do on LinkedIn. Or you, the joke you cracked, made me laugh so hard. I, uh, I spit coffee out. Right. And so that's how yeah. you connect on LinkedIn. That's a, that's a really good point. And I think I've, I've noticed that like sometimes I'll kind of, I've put things out there on videos or posts and people will agree with it. And I think sometimes, like you said, sometimes people might be held back for whatever reason to not say it or say what they're thinking or put it in a post. And I think it's, that kind of encouragement, it, you know, it can inspire other people, can't it? If you say something or put something out there, someone else might think, oh, well, perhaps I can post something like that. Or perhaps, you know, I, I can start doing this as well. Have you found that, like, for doing it, people start kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, how do you do it? And then they start getting that confidence to, you know, post content that they like or feel strongly about. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, Part of the book, I talk about the way to stand out on LinkedIn is to not be a corporate drone, not use words like think out of the box or let's action that. I talk about barstool conversations. I use slang, right? 
nobody three four years ago nobody would even think to use slang or even like some words i mean you blot out the swear but like even swearing sometimes yeah but what what but what does that but what does that do why is that working so well for people like me and other people and i'll tell you why the answer is if you use if you use corporate words if you stifle your your language and your and your personality on linkedin you're not selling yourself you're selling a packaged fake version of yourself and if you can't even be real with your words, why would people want to connect with you? See, when I use slang, like for instance, on Quora, I call people cats. Like these cats don't, uh, they don't know yeah, what they're doing, but it's time it. for a bonus, right? People say, oh, wow, this is exactly how this guy would talk if we're just sitting on a bar stool together. And so mm -hmm. when people see others doing that, they say, wow, I can just be myself. I can, I can take the tie off and take the mask off and just have some fun. And once they let their guard down and start having fun, the, the content just pours out of them, right? The personality mm. comes out and their network explodes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, feeling comfortable, isn't it? And, and uh, what you're posting and, I mean, being mindful of what you're posting, but obviously, you know, not, not feeling like you have to be someone else, if, you know, by, by, or structuring it in a certain way. And I, when I when I post stuff, I have to like you know look over look over my grammar sometimes because I'm so laid back sometimes in my texting to my friends. I'm like, is there a capital letter? Is there speech? Is there a speech mark? And and all of these things. I mean, which you know good, but you know I'm com you know trying to be comfortable in not trying to not like you're sending it to a manager you know for like a CV if that makes sense. Just you know, using slang and using, if you're going to curse, you know, people blop out the words. Um, I think, you know, like I said, it's definitely been a shift, hasn't there? And, and you've been there since the early days of LinkedIn. So you must have seen all of these things like change. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's been a very welcome change because it was getting so stuffy and so, for lack of a better term, like elitist, right? Yeah. And, and there's no, and there's no problem celebrating. If you have a big win, if you make a lot of money, if you get a new promotion and you want to, you want to get some love for that, that's great. But it was more of like, don't talk to me this way or don't use those terms. Now it's, now it's great because it's like we said, it's that barstool conversation. It's people's personalities coming through on LinkedIn. And I mean, a big part of it now, and I feel a shift in the world too, is the people that are doing big things, whether it's LinkedIn or business, there's an energy level. And by energy level, I mean, that person is comfortable with who they are in just about any situation. They don't have to pretend like, hey, with these people, I'm person X, with these people, I'm person Y. They have an energy where they can just be them, write what they want to write, sell what they want to sell. And if you like it, great. And if not, that's fine too. But there's no, there's no pressure or perceived anxiety. It just, it just comes out naturally. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's a key thing, isn't it? People want to feel comfortable and, you know, like people are going to notice it if you're not being genuine or if you're posting something and, you know, appear in a certain way. And sometimes, you know, you see it and you, you notice it if someone's not being genuine or they might not respond to certain comments because they probably don't know how to sometimes and, and you can see that. So... You have to be very, very careful, don't you, on these platforms? Because sometimes I I see certain people that I know posting things, and I'm like, you sh probably shouldn't post that because some, what if your employer sees it or 
so you know someone sees it. So I think you have to still be very careful, don't don't you? Do you think in in the content you, you put out? Yeah, I mean you don't want to agitate for there's so there's certain topics that will could get you in a lot of trouble if you have a regular job, like obviously religion, politics, yeah, things like that. So some people toe the line and they put a humorous spin on it and they do well. But I agree with you. I think it's more of just if you have an opinion and a strong view and you're not you're not putting people down in a bad way and you're and you're bringing either wisdom to it or humor to it you actually enhance the experience of topics that maybe you couldn't talk about but i agree with you i think for certain people trying to get a job you don't want to go like full crazy on politics because it's going to do a lot more harm than hurt i mean you're look we're not changing anybody's mind in politics you're going to vote for who you're yeah. going to vote for so I, I agree. You avoid that. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen things with vaccines and non-vaccines, stuff like that. And I nearly shared one one once the other day, and I was like, I'm not sharing this. It just might go the other way, and people are all going to have an opinion. And I think, yeah, just being mindful, isn't it? And I was uh, thinking as well. You you mentioned uh, on one of the points, like a fascinating test or something like that. Yeah, you did. Um, or one word change. Yeah, so there's a site called PickFu, P-I-C-K-F-U, and it helps you crowdsource book titles, book covers, and a few other questions. You have to spend some money, but the intelligence you get is fascinating. So one of the things I did is I, I tested a, uh, a book title and that one, and then I wanted to make sure I optimized the subtitle. Because if you look at, I'm a big 80-20 fan, which is what you and I talked about before, is like there's a few levers you can pull that make huge differences. And for book sales on Amazon, assuming that somebody doesn't know you or they're not on your email list, like somebody completely new who comes across your book, there's three decisions, there's three things they look at that drive their decision-making of whether or not to buy your book. The first is the title, the second is the cover, and the third is the book blurb. So in this book, I'm trying to put in more work of spending like, get a killer cover, get a killer title, and then subtitled in a blurb because I, I didn't do as good of a job last time, but you know, I'm learning. So I found this site PickFu and I'm like, all right, I got my title at one, at one by a definitive amount. I threw up five subtitles to give the description of what you would expect. And so two of the subtitles had exactly the same words. All I did was change the word easy to simple. And the simple one won out by four times the amount of votes that the word easy did. And what's fascinating about that is on PickFu, they give you descriptions on why they chose it. And they said, some people said, simple, easy tells me that it's like, it's too easy that it's not believable. But the word simple tells me that it's a simple process where I'll have to do a little work, but it's easy enough for me to follow where I'll be able to make something of this book. And so intelligence like that just blows my mind because if you could spend a couple hundred dollars up front, either with Facebook ads, the test titles and covers or pick foo, like I'm talking about, you get deep insight into what your audience wants. And, and again, it goes back to the power of words. Some of the people I look up to most making piles of money are good with slinging words, right? You, you could say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And a simple change in one or two words makes a gigantic difference. Yeah, no, it's um, it's very powerful, isn't it? You know, you know, when you mentioned it, like the words that we, the words that we use and how people 
interpret and perceive um you know words just automatically you know even when it comes to books and i think you know like words can stand out to you you know in the cover like you said you know the cover the blurb and i think they're the things that i look at you know automatically when i see a book and i don't really look at the ratings too much or anything like that you know those those key things and um it's like you said like easy and simple like it's you see books like five simple steps to xyz and um it sounds like a really i mean i've not i've never heard of this uh site or program you you mentioned before but by the sounds of it it seems pretty effective in a good way if you're wanting to create a book because like if you i think sometimes people have have ideas or we have ideas kind of try and over complicate the the words if that makes sense to to describe something where you might not need to and just have you know something that resonates with somebody quickly if that makes sense do you do you think it's people do that you know it's pretty automatic they look for certain words and, and why they stand out yeah as i was saying earlier there's a couple of people i follow that make a lot of money with basically using words sales and copywriting and from all their wisdom i've distilled that there's certain there's certain principles that every human responds to we love novelty we knew we love new things we love easy or simple. Why? Well, because it's the path of least resistance. If we go back to the cavemen days when they had to walk across the plains sometimes for a week before they found food, they had to conserve every ounce, every calorie for one mission. And that was, where's the food at, right? Because if we don't get the food, we don't survive. Uh, another thing is just, is it safe, right? Am I going to look like a fool if I read this book, try it, and it doesn't work? Am I going to make myself worse off? And then another thing is like, what, what's different about this? Like, and I said novelty, but like, what's the big payoff for me? So we go back to the barstool conversation. It's like, I could go out and have a drink tonight, right? And maybe I just want to relax. But if I go to another bar and I can have the same beer, but there's a different crowd there, maybe I'll meet some people that would expand my network or expand my mind. And that simple change goes back to what I said with Pick Fu. It's like, if you just make one or two lever pulls, it means the difference between small gains or losses and gigantic gains. Oh, my mute. Sorry about that. Um, I forgot about that. But yeah, you're saying like I agree with you, and I think back to, you know, the caveman times, and you know, with the way we think and the way we interpret things and the way we're wired, um, you know, we we do that automatically sometimes, um, and it's you know down to those caveman caveman times and the simplicity, uh, and that's like a fine line, isn't it? But it's so important, isn't it? In the world today, if you want to stand out, you know, you have to kind of look at these things that, you know, we perhaps don't always think about, you know, like the way you or it's structured, the, the wording of it. Like you, it's getting more and more, um, I don't know if this is the right word, like condensed. You have to look so finely, even at the words that you, you're, you're uh, branding it as. Yeah, excellent point. I mean, in the book, I talk about one of the companies I look up to is called Agora Financial. They sell financial newsletters and health newsletters. 
and the, and the people doing the selling are the copywriters. So it's all words on a screen or direct mailings. They're not, they're not selling in person. And so I went down to a conference a couple of years ago to learn their secrets, tips, and tricks. And one of the things they said is you got to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. So the exercise that we all performed in a room was like, come up with an idea, say like, for instance, a LinkedIn book, right? How to make, you know, the ordinary is here's a, a few step process to make 30,000 connections. Okay. I guess that's kind of interesting, but like, what, what do I get from that? But if I tell you a simple process to make 30,000 connections, now you gain a huge network and you don't have to expend a lot of energy. Then if I tell you it's a unique process, now there's novelty. So what have we learned from that? Well, you'll, you'll have the secrets that nobody else has. And everybody wants to know, have the, like the inroad to knowledge that the crowd or the herd doesn't have. And so what you're doing is, like I said, you're taking the ordinary and making the extraordinary. And how can you trigger that, that, that light in people's brain to say, wow, this is something that I need and I have to have. Do you think that this, uh, you know, what we're talking about with wording of, uh, you know, books and standing out um, kind of links into um, is it SEO in YouTube and, you know, um, standing out on that side of things as well with video titles, because for me, I, I'm still learning how to kind of put out, you know, how to brand my videos on YouTube and things like that. And, you know, these, like you said, these key words that stand out. I mean, I know there's an algorithm, but do you think that kind of pays a part as well? Well, why people might click a certain video over another video because of the wording on, on the video? Yeah, if you look at YouTube, for instance, in the search results, and I, I've seen changes from this as well. There's the title, there's the blurb, and there's the thumbnail image. And I've seen people with a couple hundred thousand subscribers talk about when they changed a thumbnail image, no, no other changes, same video, same title, same blurb, they saw three to five times the amount of clicks. So that just piques the curiosity. Like one of the things they talked about is if you put a face on the thumbnail image versus just like a, like a, like let's say you're selling widgets, right? You could take the picture yeah. of the widget, but if you put the person's face on there with a smile holding the widget, the, the click rate explodes. Now let's think about that for a moment. Why? Well, you can put yourself in that picture as that person holding the widget. If you just see the widget, it's static. But if you see a person smiling or with an excited face holding the widget, you're placing in your mind of here's what happens when I hold the widget. Like I can see myself do it. And if you could put people in the picture and in, in the movie of their mind, they're going to respond a lot more than if it's just something static. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, I think that's something that I probably look at as well when I look at videos. And if you see, if you see someone's face or reaction to something or their reaction to the thing there, is it that's going to be in the video? Um, it kind of captures you because you think, oh, you know, it's, it kind of, I don't know, it just automatically kind of probably draws you in. And I, I think it's like, do you think sometimes people, when they're, starting out you know or, or have you spoken to people who are trying to they, some people expect to get results straight away and you know they've really got to look at like the foundations of, of how they're doing it like and you know because a lot the thing is as well a lot of people put a lot people especially creators or you know podcasts or whatever you know whatever they're in 
a lot of your time and energy goes into doing it. So you want to get that final kind of push out there, don't you? Yeah, excellent point. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion about SEO, but if there's one piece of advice I can impart to your listeners from getting 6.2 million visitors is instead of trying to tweak things to please the algorithm and hopefully people show up, make things that make people love what you're putting out and the algorithms will take care of themselves. Mm. So instead of worrying about search engines for people, worry about people and the search engines will, will take care of themselves. They'll follow. And I think that's, the, and, and it's not a knock against people. It's just when you're first getting started, you're not sure what to do, right? It's so much material thrown at you. It's like somebody turned on a fire hose and here's 10,000 things you got to learn just to get a video ranked. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to the 80, 20. I mean, I learned, can I make my page load fast because people don't have patience, right? I read a study the other day that people have the attention span of like eight seconds, which is one second less than a hummingbird. So if your page takes four seconds to load, you now have four seconds left to get this person interested and clicking wow. around your site, right? So it, it's not just a battle for attention, it's a battle for speed. And then, and then it's just titles because we're getting bombarded with so many advertisements every day and so much content. It's like, what do I pay attention to? And so we're, I'm going to go back to the lizard brain here. We have something called the prime directive. And if we've seen something before in the past and it hasn't helped us, our brain automatically disconnects. Yep, I've seen it. I don't need it, which is why it goes back to the power of can you make the ordinary extraordinary? Mm. What thing can you do to stop a person in their tracks and say, wow, I'll give this thing 10 seconds to read? Mm. Yeah, it's really, it's really powerful, isn't it? And um... I definitely, I think I, you know, not just with, uh, on YouTube, but like, you know, like, uh, sometimes video game commercials or certain commercials, they must use the similar kind of thing. It grabs your attention and kind of pulls you in. And then after a few seconds, you realize, oh, it's just the, I don't know, Pepsi commercial or something like that. Oh, okay. I'm not interested. Um, it's, it's amazing how, you know, your mind kind of works and is is seeking um something to kind of gain you know if you're looking to find something to buy i think that's a that's a big thing you know trying to find something to buy whatever that is and sometimes a commercial can can pull you into you know buying one thing over another thing so all these little things kind of play a part and um like for people starting out like would you say what, what would you say is like a good way of kind of, you know, learning, you know, like, because sometimes there, there's so many different books and there's, there's tutorials, like, what, what did you find helped you when you was um, kind of starting out or, or getting into it? Because I know you're, you've got a very successful, um, you know, math website that, what is it, it covers, it covers not just math, right? It's called math, you've got a website called Math Celebrity and it helps people right. with their, their homework. Yeah, I mean, the, the number one lesson to start off with SEO is if I could go back, because I made some really silly mistakes, I just threw out content, and hopefully people will come. And eventually the momentum built, but I started asking myself, not just what I want to produce, but like, what do people want? So when I first started out, I'm like, let me just go through all the math books, build a bunch of lessons, throw it out there and let's see what happens. And, and that did okay, but I still wasn't getting the traction that I wanted. 
So then what I did is I discovered a little button on Google Analytics that will tell you every search people run on your site, like the exact phrase. And what I discovered was people aren't searching like a computer. They're searching like they talk. So for instance, people will ask things like, what is the square root of five instead of just like typing square root of five or how do I solve X minus two equals 31. And once I started honing in on the way people ask for things, that's when the light bulb went off and that's when we exploded. If you could figure out the patterns of how people talk, the trends they're into, what they're asking for, and you jump on that instead of trying to fight the fight, the current, you're going to move a lot faster. Like, you know, what's the old quote, like too many people are trying to swim upstream Mm. instead of just grabbing a surfboard and and surfing on the wave. So that would be the number one piece of advice I would give Mm. your listeners starting out. And the second is a principle in NLP called modeling. So modeling, Tony Robbins talks about all the time is like, go find somebody that's doing very well and something you want to do and watch what they're doing. How, are they, how do they talk? How do they move? How do they think? What are they doing? And then try to deconstruct each piece. So if somebody writes a killer blog post, break it apart. What about this title is pulling me in? Is it the words? Is it the arrangement of words? What about the summary and the call to action makes me want to rip my wallet out and give them my credit card? And mm-hmm. once you work backwards and break those, those pieces down, that will fast forward your success. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you for sharing that for sharing that advice, you know, to the listeners. And I think, you know, like you said, like modeling is a key, a key thing, you know, in NLP and, you know, in trying to kind of replicate, you know, in your own way, um, you know, to you know, to be successful or to do something, you know, someone else is doing and looking at the foundations and breaking it down from the other side of it to to make it work for you. And I think a lot of people sometimes just see you know, they don't do that and they kind of do it the, the other side, the other way, um, you know, and it really is important, you know, to like to understand how to do that and to really, you know, like I said, by breaking it down, um, you know, like there's, it's a process as well, isn't it? It takes time and, but, you know, in doing that, it, it will, you know, work. And, you know, sometimes I bet you've had people kind of reach out to you and, and ask how you kind of, did what you do as well and it's it's like those kind of little foundations isn't it yeah and 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 that's why modeling is so powerful it's instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and there's nothing Mm. wrong with being original taking your own spin on things but instead of trying to reinvent the wheel yeah you 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 find out what's working and then deconstruct why you could take put your own spin on it afterwards but the, the biggest part of modeling is figure out what doesn't work. Like, and you and I talked about, I think on the first time we ever did the podcast yeah. was the mental model called inversion. So yeah. inversion is like, instead of figuring out what to do, right, figure out what you do wrong and eliminate those behaviors. And I got this from Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And when they ask him like, what's the key to your success? And, and basically the quote was, we have a bunch of models. We hang on a framework of our lattice work And we follow that, like for every decision we make, we run it through those filters and it it gets rid of all the silly or bankrupting investments because Mm. the magic of inversion is once you start eliminating what doesn't work, Mm. what actually happens, the magic is what, what works just kind of comes through. If you're not constantly pulling yourself back, the only momentum you're going to have is forward. I mean, think about when they interviewed Michelangelo with the statue of David. They asked him, how did you create this? This is incredible. And he said, I just looked at a block of stone 
and I cut away everything that wasn't David. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's so important to have those kind of like models, um, use those models that work for you and have that kind of filtering process, isn't it? To, you know, attain those results that you want and look at the things that are working and the things that are. And when you think about that, you really have to um, kind of do some work on yourself, I suppose, because you have to be honest with yourself and you have to um, really accept if something isn't working and be able to make that, to swallow that pill, if that makes sense. Because sometimes people, you know, real human can, can, can be so fixed in uh, and, and tunnel vision and oh this is what's working this is what's working it's going to work this way and it's like oh you have to peel it back a bit and and be honest with yourself and say look this isn't working i need to probably perhaps do this way and you know do you think like a lot of that comes down to like um you know being accountable and especially like you know like business and this kind of thing yeah it's the toughest thing for people to admit is when they're wrong or when decisions they're making aren't working i mean what's the 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 temple or the the old i forgot the name of it, it might have been the yeah the temple at delphi but one of the inscriptions on there roughly translated as know thyself so if you if you can stop and it's very difficult for most people if you can stop and just say hey what i'm doing isn't working or a belief system i have is wrong mm. let me re-examine it and figure out how to get on the right track that will that will catapult you to success way faster than trying to beat your own views into the ground. And there's mm. nothing wrong with you latching onto an idea and maybe it's not working now, but it's just going to take time. That's fine. But if you're continuously hitting a wall in the process, something's either wrong with the process or the idea. And if you have that, that self introspection to pause and say, Hey, what I'm doing isn't working. You're going to make big moves. I mean, the most mm. important, examination you'll ever take in your life isn't in a classroom it's a self-examination mm. no that's a really really good point and um would you say that you know during this time with the pandemic um it's been a moment for people to do that it's been an opportunity for people to really home in on themselves and really think about things because i think you know people have been forced to look at you know themselves and their lives um, I mean, everyone's in different situations, affect people very, very differently. Um, but I know for some people, they've they've done a whole 360, you know, down to that. Yeah, I mean, if anything else, the last year has made many people re-examine both priorities and mindsets. I mean, I was just talking to somebody the other day who had the, and I, and I call it like the most dangerous thought you can have is, I never thought this would happen or this time it's different and that's not the case. So case in point is the person I was talking to has a good job, but they have a significant amount of debt and they basically live paycheck to paycheck. So something like a housing crash in 2008 or coronavirus in 2020, or even losing your job for more than three months, that's life-changing for that person versus somebody else that has saved and kind of hedged their bets. And so as, as I was talking to this person, they said, you know, maybe it's time that I, that I have some risk or, or some insurance in my life where if this happens again, because now it's the third time, right? They brought up 2008 housing crash. They brought up 9-11. They brought up 2020. And they, and they got hit all three times, either 
almost bankruptcy or job loss or something like that. And so they said, now I see it. Like now I see the vision is like, you have to have an insurance policy against things like this because all the great investors, all the great businessmen, they, they do what's called asymmetrical bets. And that is whatever move they're going to make, the downside's limited, their losses are limited, but the upside is, is almost unlimited. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, I, I don't want to go off too topic too much, but do you think, uh, how can I put this in to words? Um, you know, like cybersecurity and that kind of thing, like more businesses are having to invest insurance and that kind of thing. You know, as things kind of move forward and go along. Because I saw like um, quite a few companies got hacked. Um, I know uh, CD Projekt Red, who make video games, they got hacked really bad making their game. Got their details leaked on, you know, the dark there. Um, do you think, you know, people who, you know, evolving have to think about things that they probably didn't have to, you know, in business and technology? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just goes back to risk and 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 protection. I mean, in my day job, I work in insurance. And if you go back to the etymology of the word insurance, it's a pledge or a promise. And basically you're pledging or promising to cover somebody's downside or worst case risk. And I think more people need to have their own personal insurance policies in life, not necessarily through a company, but what if this happens, right? What if I lose my job? What if, and, I, and, and let me pause here for a moment. I'm a big abundance thinker. I don't want to think about negative, like, oh, you know, the world's, the sky's falling and I'm going to lose my job. But, but what if helps you plan for limit yeah. the downside. And then once the downside's taken care of, now your mind's free to go after a huge amount of upside. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I, I've had that conversation, a conversation with people um, in hospitality and, you know, especially where I live, it's mainly hospitality and, I know some people who are in that trade. I used to be in the trade. And if I was still in that trade, I'd be looking at other areas where um, I can make income that isn't going to be affected by COVID. And I think it's, you know, then it comes back to your comfort zone and the unknown. And, you know, there's a lot of groundwork that people have to ultimately jump through to, to get to the side. But I think these are important things that people need to think about and take into consideration, um, you know, because you, you, that what if, you know, you, you just don't know. And sometimes people have no insurance, they have no backup plan. They, you know, there's, it's, it's important, isn't it, in, in today's life? And I was just thinking as well, um, like a random question. I was asking, you know, I think I asked you previously, but have you had any, any books that you've been reading recently or any um, stand out? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of metaphysics and mental models. And I've just been reading those books like three, four times. I noticed the really good ones. If I read them three times, I learn something new every time. But by the third time, I almost make the behaviors and the thought patterns subconscious. And then there's a few that are so good. I want to read them 10 times so mm -hmm. I can, I can do the things in my sleep. I mean, I liked, um, I liked Charlie Munger's books about mental models. And then Shane Parrish has a couple of books from Farnham street, all about mental models which are really good. And then I'm just going back over some of the classics, like Think and Grow Rich. I'm going back over The Power of the Subconscious Mind, mm. um, a couple of the other metaphysics books. 
And then just persuasion, right? Because that's the last weak link in the chain that I'm trying to build is I can get the leads, I can get the traffic, but now I got to close the sales, right? I have to move people from where they're at to where I want them to be, but in, in a mm. way where it helps them. Yeah, no, I see it. And um, I remember like, we had a conversation, you mentioned that that model, you know, by reading a book once and then three times and then embedding it into your, you know, your subconscious mind, you know, by reading it, you know, more and more. And I really appreciate, you know, your book recommendations. I, re- I ended up reading that, uh, The Art of War. And that really blew my mind because that was written, I can't remember the day, but it was written, you know, many, many, many years ago. I think it was the sixth, sixth century. I might be wrong. Um, and then you start talking about, you know, battle tactics and, you know, uh, your enemy war. And, you know, a lot of that you could apply to business and, and to life today. And, but, you know, like it's so important to read, isn't it? And to get to know, you kind of, you can really develop yourself through reading. Yeah, I'm glad you liked that book because there's a power in that wisdom. I mean, that was written 300 years or so before Jesus was born. And for somebody to take the time before the printing press was invented and hand copy that, that tells you how powerful the wisdom is. And, and, and if you look at the, the brilliance of that book, the, one of the main lessons in that book is, can you win your battles without firing a shot? Can you win your battles without pulling your sword out of the scabbard? And that goes back to the power of, of mental models and thinking. So, and, and again, you mentioned a couple other books too, when we've talked, I like to look at books as borrowing somebody's brain. If you borrow enough smart yeah. brains and powerful brains and let the information marinate, it's almost like playing life on cheat codes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and somebody, somebody said to me, it's almost like if you're, if you're ready to take in a book, it's almost like, uh, how did she put it? But like your soil, you know, like if your soil is ready to, to receive um, the minerals and the goodness from that book, then you'll, you'll kind of indulge that book more rather than sometimes just kind of like reading. Some people sometimes read through it, but like a magazine sometimes. Um, no, it's, de- it's definitely powerful. And um, was there any other points that you, that I, I forgot to bring up that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I think one more thing for your, your listeners that you and I were talking about before the call is something called the slight edge principle. That was and this will help entrepreneurs as well as listeners of your podcast. And I'm just looking up. I want to make sure I get the numbers right here. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the slight edge principle kind of dovetails off what's called the winner effect. So as you win something, a contest or a prize, you get more confident, you get more rewards, and then you can invest those rewards into the next contest. But what's fascinating is if you look at the slight edge principle kind of dovetails off that is, is let's take a horse race, right? The 2020 Kentucky Derby here in the States. I'm looking at the prize winnings, fourth place horse won 150,000, third place run 300,000, second place won 600,000. But here's, here's, here's the key. The winning horse, the Kentucky Derby won 1.86 million, which is three times more than second place six times more than first place and 12 times more than fourth place. Why am I telling you this? Because not only does the winning horse get the 1.86 million, they get a priority posting at the next race, which gives them an advantage. They get more media coverage. They get more 
money to put back into the horse and the trainer to win the next race. And so what I, if, if I could depart with one piece of advice for your listeners, it's embrace the slight edge principle. If you could just get a little better, or if you can win the competition by just a little bit, book sales, selling a customer, whatever it takes to tip you over the edge to make that next win, the wins will start compounding. And that's when the magic happens. Mm. No, definitely. It's, it's so powerful, isn't it? And it's, it's crazy, you know, with those horse, you know, the horse, uh, what do you call them? The, uh, the winnings and, and, the, and the, the stats you mentioned, um, it's a crazy difference, isn't it? And, you know, like that kind of relates into so many things and, you know, that, that, that small, you know, those small kind of steps and that those small little differences and, you know, for them to be continuous and to build, you know, bit by bit and time by time, um, you know, over time, they all kind of form together and compound. And, you know, that, that's something we, we talk about quite a lot. And I think it's, it's so important to learn about it because a lot of people, um, you know, I haven't heard of it. And some people, you know, a lot of people have, but it, it, it's so true, isn't it? You know, I remember when we first connected, you know, it really stuck with me you know ever since and you talk about you know the one percent the one percent the one percent and it really blew my mind when you broke it down i can't remember the ins and outs but it applied to society and um the way things work so when you think of it when it works like that and it ties into you know uh the races um it you know it's, it's like a law of attraction it's, it's not the law of well i don't know but it's a bit like the law of attraction in some way it's real you know it's working yeah, yeah. Going back to the 1% principle, if you improve on a skill, any skill, 1% a day, most people think, oh, I'll be 30% better at the end of the month. No, actually, you'll be 30, I think it's 34.6% better because the 1% compounds. If you extend that principle for 365 days for a full year, getting 1% better every day, you're going to be 3,778% better at the end of the year. Now imagine, imagine any skill that you could get that much progress in a year if you just make little tiny slight edge gains every day. You, if you were doing writing, you would be an incredible writer. If you were doing sales, where, what kind of killer salesman would you be after a year by making a mm. small improvement every day? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And you mentioned like before, well, did you mention, I think you mentioned before we went in the chat, um, uh, the... The, the dollar principle you mentioned, like if somebody had saved, um, you mentioned it Columbus times or something like that, if somebody would have saved a dollar, you know, each day or, or whatever it was, they would have a crazy amount of money now. Yeah, I, I was on a finance blog the other day and somebody brought up something fascinating. They said if, if, if on the day Columbus landed in America, he put $1 in a fund and that fund earned, I think it was three or 4%. At the end of 2020, he would have something like $3 billion. So no more deposits, just $1 deposited in 1492 and let it roll for 500 something years, wherever we're at in 2020, he'd have a couple billion dollars. And that's all from just compounding and compounding and compounding. And so the lesson to impart is it, it just doesn't have to be financial, it's skill building, right? If you can read a couple books, well, not even a couple books every year, but like, can you read, I like to read 50 pages a day. 
after four days, I've cleared a 200 page book, right? If I go back and read that three times, like I said earlier, that knowledge is, is buried in the subconscious. It's automatic. Yeah. And there's somebody else brought up a great point to this. It's called habit stacking. If you can stick with one good habit to replace a bad habit for like 30 to 60 days, you bury it in your subconscious mind. Now you move on to the next good habit. After, after a year, right, you've got some new habits that are automatic and your life has changed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think it makes me think about um, something I've, I've experienced recently. Like I've, I've kind of, I, don't, I won't go off topic too much, but it kind of trends with it. Um, my family are all kind of vegan and kind of vegetarian. And I've been toying with the idea of kind of going that way. And during this lockdown we was in, I stayed at my mum's for a couple of months. And I moved back somewhere else now. And because I've been so ingrained in those habits of, say, eating vegetarian food or different alternatives, I'm going shopping now and I'm thinking more about it. And it's kind of like more ingrained because I've, I've been doing it for the past three months. Whereas before that, prior to that, I was like, no, no chance, you know. But I mean, that, that, that's just like one principle, if that makes sense. But I, I've consistently done it. And now I'm thinking, well, I'm probably, you know, would, wouldn't touch meat as much as I used to because of that compounding, you know. It, that's, that's a really weird example, but that's like one thing and then you know like working out or, or little tiny one percent yeah i mean you just brought up an excellent point so charlie munger who's warren buffett's partner that i referenced earlier talks about the Lollapalooza effect if you stack enough good mental models and good decisions together it starts to accelerate off in the space so you just brought up an excellent example of the combination of habit stacking and compound interest so you're, you're eating better with vegetarian or, or vegan. And after a couple of days or a couple of weeks, it's a habit. You don't even have to think about it. Then you add in running or cardio. Then you add in, you're improving on podcasting. Then you add in the next habit. Pretty soon, it just it, it, it's Lollapalooza, right? You're just exploding your health, your wealth, your happiness. And I think that's the ultimate goal in life is just how far, how, how can you just keep peaking? Just keep adding more, but but doing it in a way where it becomes automatic in the subconscious. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, no, I really appreciate, you know, your, your support and feedback on, you know, and, and on everything. It really, really means a lot. And yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it's pretty mind blowing, isn't it? And I think it just shows you that the power of, of the, you know, our minds and how we can, you know, create new kind of pathways and new habits through that repetition. Um, I think, you know, it's something that should be taught to everybody. You know, I think there'd be a, um, a lot of different things happening if it was. But I think, you know, just by trying it out and starting out, and I mentioned it to someone the other day, and I just said to them, just, just start, like you said, just start doing it. You know, even if it's like once a week or once a day, it will build. And um, like I mentioned to you before we started, I've got like a few new questions which I've been asking people. I'm just going to include it in this podcast. I, I was doing them separate previously, but um, I was just thinking is, what would you say your spirit animal is? You could think of spirit animal. Oh, that's a good question. Ah, let me think. I, I, I'd say the, I'd say the lion. And I know that's yeah. kind of a cliche answer, but I was watching the lion King, the original version the other day with, 
my daughter and when Mufasa's sitting on the cliffside with Simba and he puts his arm, he puts his paw around him and he says, look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. That's that phrase hits me because it's, mm. it speaks to abundance, right? It's like, yeah, you have an abundance of the things you can do, the mindset you can adopt and just sitting there as the, as the sun setting. It's just, it's a beautiful scene, not just visually, but for life. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And I think it's it's a great, great animal you chose. And I think that that connection to it's really powerful and it's so true. And um, an accomplishment that you're proud of um, or accomplishments you're proud of? I'd say last year, personally, my, my biggest accomplishment was getting 6.2 million unique visitors to my website without spending a penny on traffic. I mean, I get frustrated sometimes because I don't get the sales, but my wife reminded me that, you know, we're in a good spot where you're being able to yeah. affect that many lives without ever meeting these people in person. Yeah. Wow. No, it's, it's amazing what you're doing, you know, and, you know, that you're helping people in so many ways, you know, because for me, I, I hated maths. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who don't understand it or they're struggling with it. And, you know, for you to help them with their, their, uh, homework and the tuition if that makes sense and you know to help them you know get better results and grow it's pretty rewarding yeah it's it's been a fun ride it's it's really good to look back and think about yeah no definitely and um uh, what would your advice be to people who are trying to like you know figure out what they want to do in life if that makes sense you know if they're whether that's career, education, or, or job, you know, just trying to, you know, find your way. If you don't mind, I'm going to get a little metaphysical, a little no, bit fine. here, fine. but uh, <laughs> what's really helped me is if you can write down, you know, you could write down a bunch of goals, but if there's one thing that's really gnawing at you every day, put it on an index card, write it down, look at it in the morning, read it out loud, do the same thing at night. And when you fall asleep, there's a power in this I can't explain, but if you fall asleep with the vision of you achieving the goal, with the feeling you'd have when you achieve the goal, as you cut out into sleep and you do that over and over again, your goal starts to pull itself towards you. I can't explain it. I, I, I know we're getting woo-woo with metaphysics, but if you can do yeah. that, your brain and the energy you're putting out literally rewires itself to bring the goal to you. Wow. No, it's it's amazing that is, and I think, you know, for like it, like you said, it, it's hard to understand that, isn't it? But by just putting that into practice, you know, each night or each week, and just uh, you know, envisioning yourself moving towards that, isn't it? And and that you know, because emotion's powerful, isn't it? It's almost like concrete, kind of tying that in with seeing yourself achieve something. Nice, no, it's, it's really I appreciate you sharing that, and. Um, you know, a big failure or mistake you've made or how to deal with failures? Oh, that's an easy one. That's just mindset, but on the negative side. So when things go wrong, just saying, ah, you know, this, this isn't going to work or getting frustrated as I'm on my path. And maybe I have two successes, but I have one pullback getting mad that it's not all just perfect and easy and mm -hmm. losing that train of thought that I answered in the last question of just holding the vision and the emotion of the vision if, if you were to achieve it in the mind for as long as you can. There's a great book called uh, The Game. I think it's called The Game and How to Play It by Frank Lautenberg. 
and he uses prayer, right? And I'm not going to get religious on here, but instead of, you can use prayer, but instead of thinking religiously, you can think of your goal and you get mm. a point for every time, for every minute, you think about your goal, like achieving it. So if mm. my goal is say, I want to make a million dollars for every minute I, I stop or in my mind, I can see a picture of me holding a million dollars cash or in my bank account, I get a point. And the idea is the more points you gain over time, the closer your goal gets. Mm. No, definitely. I think that's a really powerful principle to have in place. And, you know, to, to envision, you know, what you want and to keep on doing that, repeat that and to really, you know, have that, and, you know, to place that in your mind, because, you know, like you said, in your mind, it, it almost like grows and the more that you do it. And, you know, I think we should have big goals, you know, we should have big goals and dreams and aspirations. And sometimes, you know, imposter syndrome comes into it. Sometimes people think, oh, they're not good enough to, and this kind of thing. But, you know, you really should, I think. I think it's important, you know, to have things to have, you know, to have good things, to have nice things and to, you know, to be working towards, you know, something. Yeah. I mean, nature at its core is, is constant expression, right? It's constant growth. I mean, mm. when does, does a plant stop at a certain height? No, it's going to keep growing. There's, there's trees in the red, I believe the California redwoods that have been growing for th hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah. And it's just a constant expression of nature for you to, share your talents and your vision with the world and what's not to love about that no mm. well, I, I love that and i think it's it's you know something that is rewarding as well you know if you're you know if you've grown yourself and you can help other people to do in the process you know it, it just blossoms doesn't it and um the final one is what are you afraid of i'm afraid of in 20 years, I'm still working a day job and I haven't, I haven't hit it big with my business. I haven't achieved all that I've set out to do yeah. where I'd still be working a day job. And maybe I've had some success in business and, and not just business, but with my family, can I be the best father possible? Right. Can I, can I dilute my temper? Can I, can I direct my kids and give them a better life than I had. And, and my, just my biggest fear for failure is I don't, I don't reach those goals, right? We're not yeah. living the ideal life, all of us happy, healthy, and wealthy. Yeah. No, I, pre I appreciate you, you know, talking about that and, you know, being open and honest. And I think like, you know, human beings have all got fears and we're all different and we've all got fear and, you know, it's okay to have fears, isn't it? And I think, you know, um, just kind of keeping them in mind and so i think sometimes it's it's how you kind of use those fears isn't it you know like as a driving force to you know to do things and in how you kind of uh react isn't it it's it's pretty complex but it, it's um you know we can kind of use that fear if that makes sense in some way yeah i mean fear is fuel if used correctly right if it's just you could redirect the energy so if you could take the fear and use the energy to go through whatever barrier you think is standing in your way, and then you can, you can conquer that barrier. That fear mm. actually turns into more confidence, right? More success. Mm. Because if you're standing in an obstacle or something happens in your life, it's not so much what happens to you, it's your reaction to it. And so mm. that goes back to how can you use fear as a, as a, as a asset? 
Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely powerful. And um, I just think as well, like, where can people find you on, like, say, uh, LinkedIn or social media and, and your website as well? Yeah, the two places I hang out, number one social media platforms, LinkedIn. So it's just LinkedIn. Uh, you can look for Don Sevcik, the S-E-V-C-I-K. And then my website is mathcelebrity.com, spelled just like it sounds, M-A-T-H, celebrity.com. Oh, awesome. And um, like when your book's out, where do people find that? Is that on like Amazon? Because you, you've got a few books as well that are already out. They, they're still on Amazon, right? Yeah, and it'll just be on my Amazon page. It'll probably be out in the next six weeks. Yeah, no, awesome. But but no, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always grateful to connect with you, Don, and it's always a pleasure um, to have you on. And, you know, I think we provide a lot of value in you know, our episodes. And, um, yeah, I wish you, I wish you continued uh, success in all that you're doing and um, all the best. Thanks for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity. No, you're welcome. Welcome. You take care. Thanks. Cheers. Hi, and thank you for tuning into the Positive Podcast. I would just like to announce that I have just recently created a Facebook group for listeners and for people who would like to network with other podcasters and to network with other people who listen to the podcast as well. The link can be found in the bio of my profile as well as the bio of my episodes and the Facebook group um, is called The Positivity People. All you have to do is send a re- invite request and I'll accept it for you to join. I hope to see you there. Have a great day. Take care. Hi, I'd just like to say a massive thank you for listening to the podcast. You can also check out the podcast on YouTube at The Positive Podcast. You can also check out my Instagram at City 94 where I put lots of podcast clips and snippets and a lot more content as well. I really appreciate you supporting me in my podcast and supporting me in my content. It really, really means a lot. Any feedback, any questions, any queries, you can email me at thepolicypodcast.gmail.com and I look forward to hearing from you and connecting. Take care.